continuing to go through the Mass. If you remember, the last thing that we dove into uh, was the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer. If you want to follow along on that, we're approximately on page 90 in, uh, in today's Missal. And we ended uh, with the, the, the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit um, to ask the Holy Spirit to bless the bread and the wine that would soon to become the body and blood of Jesus. And then we come to what is called the institution narrative or um, the anamnesis, big word, I know. Early in the morning, I don't really wanna talk Greek. It is literally Greek to you. Okay. <laughs> it's a Greek word <laughs> that means to remember. But not like the remembering of, like, uh, you know, remember back when when we did this stupid thing? <laughs> it's not that sort of remembering. Anamnesis is more of a remembering of a deeper kind. Like, if we could remember something and it would actually, we would actually be able to go back to the event that we're remembering. Like, say you had a really good experience as a child and there was just, you know, the quintessential, like, playing catch with your dad. And imagine you could go back and actually experience that again. Not just, like, in your memory as, like a, as a memory, but actually actually experience that. That's what this word anamnesis means. To like return to, to remember and, and it be brought back. Because God, who can do all things, what he does in our remembering is that he makes present what we are recalling, which is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Now the words that are said are the words that he said the night before he died. But even those words are in a sort of remembering, because God is beyond time, in this sort of remembering, calling towards what is going to happen the next day. Don't ask me to try to explain what, how that works, because I can't tell you. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's beyond, uh, I think, our human intellects can imagine. So, if you're looking at it, we were starting right at the beginning of that institution narrative, on the day before he was to suffer. He took bread in his holy and venerable hands, and at that point the priest will take the bread, the host, into his hands. And with eyes raised to heaven, and in that particular instance for the Eucharistic prayer one, it, the, the, the church asked the priest to actually lift up his head and like look up. With his eyes lifted to heaven, to you, O God, his almighty Father. Right? Because this whole prayer is us being invited into the life and the relationship of Christ with the Father through the Holy Spirit. With eyes raised to heaven, to you, O God, his almighty Father, giving you thanks, <clears throat> he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples. Now, I'm going to ask, how good is your biblical memory? <clears throat> does that phrase, bless, give thanks, and give, does that order sound familiar at all? Okay. I encourage you to open up the scriptures. 
um, the uh, specific reference to that is the, break, the, the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. When Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes, it says is that he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. After he rose from the dead, remember the, the road to Emmaus? He's talking to the two guys, and he's telling them about the scriptures, and their hearts are on fire burning, and they invite him to stay with him that night, and, he, and he, they, he's made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It says, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. So this, this language is, is this language that's connecting us to all of these other things. Saying all of this stuff within the scriptures is Eucharistic. Everything is pointing towards this. This isn't something that just the church was like, here you go. Like, no, like, this is something that was established, we'll, which we'll talk a little about even more in a moment. And then it are the words of institution. And notice, different priests kind of do this differently. I like to bend over and breathe on the host. I know that's kind of weird. I acknowledge that's kind of weird. I'm like, I'm like, it's like I'm talking to the host. But what I'm doing is, that's actually from the old rite. The priest would do that in the old rite. And he would do that as this reminder that it, the, the breath, right, Holy, the Holy Spirit has this movement of air. The, the Holy Spirit passed upon the waters to, in creation. The Holy Spirit breathed in this wind at Pentecost. When Christ gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles in the Gospel of John, it says that he breathed on them. Even the bishop, when he anoints the chrism oil, when he blesses the chrism oil, which is used for confirmation and for the ordination of priests, he literally breathes on the oil. It's kind of weird. He's like, <sighs> it's like intense, right? So I'm, I'm breathing on it. It's just like this reminder for myself that like, the Holy Spirit's, this Holy Spirit's doing something. <clears throat> Take this, all of you who eat. Take this, <clears throat> take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. Notice, I don't say this is Jesus' body. The priest says, this is my body. Because in that moment, he's acting in the person of Christ. It is Christ who is speaking those words through him. And when he lifts up that, that host, it is no longer bread except in the way that it, it, it looks like. But it has now become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. If you always wonder, like, when is it, when is it bread and when is it Jesus? When you hear the bells, it's It's Jesus. Or if the bells aren't there, when it's lifted up, that is no longer. That's now God before us. That's why I kind of, I kind of like take a moment to like let it sink in. Like, oh my gosh, there was a miracle that happened. Because nowhere else in existence can you keep the physical properties of something, but its actual substance changes. 
If you were to change the, the substance, you would change the physical properties. That's a law in physics and in, in nature. If you change like fire, if you use fire to burn something, you're going to change its substance and what it looks like. It's no longer going to be the thing. It's now going to be char. Make sense? But in transubstantiation, where the, the substance has changed, like everything else looks the same. It tastes the same. It feels the same. It sounds the same when it's cracked. It smells the same. But its substance has changed. And if you're still being like, Father, that doesn't make sense. I know. That's really hard to understand. But at that point, right, and we'll hit this in a second, like part of that is because we, it's, to understand it fully, we would have to be God. Like there is a mystery in that that we can only pierce, not fully comprehend. That is why we believe. That is why, opinion here, I'm just stating that right now, opinion. This is not fact, this is not something from the church, this is Father Kyle speaking, speaking. I think that is why the Catholic Church is the one true church. Why every other Christian church is not like the Catholic Church. Because what we have to believe is so much greater. We have to believe that God becomes bread. We have to believe that God uses broken men in the magisterium. <laughs> like, we have to believe a hell of a lot. Like, it requires more assent, more surrender of ourselves to believe, which requires a deeper faith. It's not a foolhardy faith. It's not an unreasonable faith, because that can all can be understood to a certain degree by reason. Anyway, off my soapbox. After the priest puts the bread down, then he'll reverence the Eucharist, either by genuflection or by bowing. And it says, he, he shows the consecrated host to the people, places it again on the patent, and genuflects in adoration. As this act of adoring to, to the Lord. In a similar way, he continues, when supper was ended, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands. This is connected then, every chalice is connected with the Holy Grail. Why has nobody ever found the Holy Grail? I mean, I know there are like three of them in three different churches in, in, in Europe. Whatever. <laughs> you know, um, Indiana Jones isn't the one who found it, right? Um, Every chalice is connected to the original chalice. Not, not in matter, for sure. This is a different material. This is not the same metal. But because the same thing is happening, it is the same chalice that he took up. 
And once more giving you thanks, he said the blessing, gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, and again, you'll see me bow down and breathe. That might freak you out, but I'm the only one drinking that, so you don't have to worry about it. I'm not breathing on the other stuff. <laughs> Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. It's his blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And every time that we celebrate Mass, we do that in memory of him. And then the priest again will adore him, either by bowing or genuflecting. And then he'll look at the congregation and he'll say, the mystery of faith. And in that four-word statement wraps up the whole of what is happening. What is before us is something that we cannot fully understand. It is a mystery. Not that we can solve like Sherlock Holmes, but that we can constantly dive deeper into because it is infinite. There is no, that we can never re enter, like reach its full depths. And we receive that through the gift of faith. Did you know that? That faith was a gift? That you being here right now, believing in what the Lord has done for you, that he died and rose again and wants to draw you to himself, is a gift that he has given you? Such a great gift we have received. For those of you who, who know people that do not have faith, and you want them like to work, and we sometimes think like, if I work hard enough, I'll have all the faith that I need. Like, no. <laughs> that's, not how, that's not how it works. It's the more that we open ourselves up to receive it. So when you're praying for those who are not here, Pray for them in that way, that they may be open to receiving it. Not that they, they have faith, like they can grasp it and take it for themselves, but that they receive the gift that God wants to give them. And then the, the, your response to that is called the memorial acclamation. It's an acclamation. And there are three options for that. And all three options basically say the same thing in different words. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. It's basically the same thing. But what you're doing is reminding our, we're reminding ourselves, because we forget so easily. We forget so easily what he has done for us. And by the means for which we were saved, by which we were saved. And then the priest continues. And this, this part of the Eucharistic prayer is called the oblation prayer. The prayer of offering. 
right? Because if you remember, we've kind of been talking about these past few weeks. God has given us every, everything. Everything that we have from him is gift. And what the mass is, is this opportunity for us to give everything back to him, including his son. Therefore, O oh Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ, your Son, our Lord. This mystery that's happened, we get to experience again what happened during Holy Week. Every Sunday. That's why the church demands that we come. Because that mystery is so important for us to continue to dive into. Why? Because the evil one wants to pull us away. He wants to make us forget. That's what he's been doing since he was talking with Eve. What did he do? He made her forget who she was. God doesn't love you enough to make you like himself, to know good and evil? Yeah, he has. In fact, in the previous chapter, it says, God, let us make man in our image after our own likeness, the only cre creature in all of creation in which he has done so. We offer, we, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim. What Christ does is that he takes upon himself all of our offerings. Remember two weeks ago when we were talking about when the bread and wine are coming up, that that's all of your joys, all of your sufferings, all the things that you have brought up this week. He's taken that all to himself and he's purified that. He's made it holy. He's made it spotless and then given it to the Father and entrusted it to him. Y'all. How, how necessary that is for us. Like you, might, you might come to Mass and it might be boring. It might not feel anything. It's because you haven't given him anything to transform. I know this because I, I've done it myself so many times. But when I have, when I've given myself to him, or given whatever struggles, whatever difficulties, whatever joys, like all of that is purified and made holy and good. This, this mass is more vital than anything else. I don't remember which saint said it, but he says that the earth would crumble if the Mass was not celebrated. If you don't believe me, don't you remember COVID? My brothers and sisters, this, this thing that we do isn't just because we're Catholic. Like we do this because it is vitally important for our lives. Because it is absolutely necessary, as necessary as breathing. 
as necessary as food, as necessary as water. Our difficulty is that our body reminds us when we're hungry. Our body reminds us when we're thirsty. But because of sin, our soul struggles to remind us that we need him. But we do. The holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just. And so then we go back into the Old Testament and we see where the, the early people in the life of, of faith gave their gift back to God and how he received that. The first one is Abel. Most people remember Abel because he got killed by Cain. But if you remember the whole story, God goes to Abel and to Cain and he says, I want you to give me an offering. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a gardener. Abel brought his best sheep and offered them to the Lord. Cain came and he brought his like third or fourth best vegetables. And God received Abel's offering and said, thank you. And he called Cain out and he said, dude, like, don't I deserve everything? I'm the one that gave you the ability to make this from the ground. I'm the one that provided the water. I'm the one that provided the sunlight. And yet you, you have to, you don't give what is the best of yours. Cain got jealous, and that is why he killed Abel. Why he was doomed to walk the earth. My brothers and sisters, like, I don't know about you, but that, like, pierces me. Like, do I, do I give God my best? Do I give him my best or do I just, you know, give him, you know, like, let's just say our daily prayer. What, what, what time of day do we pray? Right before we go to bed, after we've taken our melatonin? And you're kind of like, Hail Mary, full of Lord. Or like early in the morning before we've had our coffee? which the coffee mug says, please don't talk to me until after I've drinking this cup. Do we give him the best part of our day, the best part of our week? Do we give him the best of us? Or we just hold back and give what we feel is comfortable? I don't want to hear that as much as you don't want to hear that. That, that, that pokes at me. And then we got Abraham. The sacrifice of Abraham, our father in faith. Abraham, God promised to him so much. And so what Abraham did is he gave him again the best of his flocks. 
Now here's the beauty of Abraham. Abraham gave him the best and then he waited. God said, I want you to make an offering. So he did. And he made the offering and he was there so long and was waiting for God to show up for so long that the buzzards were starting to circle. They thought he was dead. And it was only then that God appeared. Like sometimes when we give our gift, he receives it, but we have to wait to receive the fruit of that. I know that that's hard, especially when we live in a culture where Amazon Prime can get you something in two days. When we have immediate 24-hour news. When you can watch whatever you want to watch, whenever you want to watch it. And then, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, which by the way, is a great name for your next goldfish. Melchizedek. Also, like a, I imagine like a Siamese cat. I would name a Siamese cat Melchizedek. Or like a really old Shih Tzu that you adopt. Like Melchizedek, you know. Anyway, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, and he was a priest. Now, this isn't the Salem that's in Massachusetts, right? This is the Salem that was in the old place in Israel. Now, that might not immediately sound familiar, but if I put four letters in front of it, J-E-R-U, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He was the king of what would become David's city. 750 years before David. Now, he was a priest. In the entirety of the Old Testament, when anybody is introduced They're introduced by the name and then son or daughter of so-and-so. Every person in the Old Testament is introduced in that way. Somebody, son or daughter of so-and-so. Melchizedek is just Melchizedek. He doesn't have a lineage. And so in the Psalms, David, and in the book of Hebrews, when it looks back to reflect on that, they recognize that Melchizedek's priesthood was an eternal priesthood. That it was connected not to something that was within him, but something that was given to him. Which is the same priesthood that Christ had when he offered himself on the cross, and the same priesthood that I partake. Now Abraham had a war. He won the war with a whole bunch of other people. And then he came back and he made an offering to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek made a sacrifice. You ready for what kind of sacrifice Melchizedek made? It was a sacrifice of bread and wine. This is Abraham. This is chapter 16 in the book of Genesis. At the very beginning of the Bible. And God is already preparing Israel to receive the Eucharist. 1,750 years before the time of Christ. This isn't something that the church made up to force people to do something every Sunday. This was established by God, and he was preparing for it for millennia. He was preparing to give himself to us. 
The holy sacrifice of spotless victim. And then the next part of the prayer, you'll see the priest bow. He bows because it tells him to. <laughs> he bows and he prays, In humble prayer we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty, so that all of us, who through this participation at the, at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son, and then he makes the sign of the cross over himself, may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Again, we're being drawn into the filial relationship, the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Because that is what eternity is. That is what heaven is, is to be within the life of the Trinity. And then he prays for the dead. Remember also, Lord, your servants. And then he would say some names. Who have gone before us with a sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. And then he would pause. And that's for all of us to remember all of our family and friends who have died. All those whom we love, who we have, we have had to say goodbye to Every Mass throughout the world is praying for your loved ones. But not only that, when you miss them, when you wish that you could talk to them again, when you wish that you could sit and have a laugh with them, the best place that you can be with them is at Mass because they are present. The whole church the church in purgatory and the church in heaven are here, worshiping the Lord with us. Now, God forbid one of your, your relatives was in hell. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. But we have hope because <laughs> we don't know. So we pray. But when you, you want to be with them, come here. Because they are present. The priest continues, Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. And then he prays again for the church. Specifically, for us to be with the saints in the heavenly kingdom. To us also your servants, who those sinners, and you'll see him strike his breast. Why? Because we're sinners. We're all broken. We're all in need of God's mercy. Hope in your abundant mercies. Grant some shell of... Trying to get this done and I'm rushing it. Graciously grant some share and fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs that we can join all of the saints. Did you know that God created you to be a saint? Yes, you. I think I've said this before, but I can't wait for somebody to be Saint so-and-so of Marrero. That's going to be gloriously awesome. But do you desire that? Do you want to be a saint? Do I want to be a saint? Sometimes. <laughs> Lost my place. <laughs> I got excited. <laughs> to, to grant some share in fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, right? Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, 
And then it goes through some more of the early church people, what's called the Roman canon, Ignatius, who we celebrated earlier this week, St. Ignatius of Antioch. Alexander, Mycerlinus, Peter, and then it remembers all of the virgin martyrs, Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Cecilia, Anastasia, which Anastasia, that's a great name for like, I don't know, a pet. I couldn't think of a good pet, you know, a guinea pig, you know, everybody called her guinea pig, Anastasia, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company. We're praying. I want to be in that number. That's what we're praying. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company. That's just a fancier word of saying, I want to be in that number. Not weighing our merits, not because of anything that we have done, but granting us your pardon because you are great through Christ our Lord. And at that point... The priest will lift up the host, the paten, and the chalice. As this physical act of giving everything that God is giving us, including his own son, back to him. So the priest prays through him, Christ, and with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, In the unity of the Holy Spirit, glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And the church says, Y'all, all that I just talked about is so gloriously wonderful. And your response to that power, to that beauty, to that majesty of what God has done is this statement of belief and trust in the Lord, in the word, amen. Now, if I'm being honest, y'all need some work with that. (laughs) Like I noticed that in the daily mass, like I I barely hear the amen. I might hear it also with you, and with your spirit. Dang it, see, look, I even do it, right? But that amen, especially in this moment, is super important. Because now that the work of Christ is finished and we're getting to receive it, our response, even the church calls it, it's not just the amen, it's the great amen. So let it have meaning at that end. Also, it helps you to remember that you need to stand afterwards. If you forget the amen, then you're kind of like kneeling and I'm starting the Father and like, oh, Wait, yeah, oh yeah, okay. So there's also a practical reason. But let that amen have purpose. Let it be wrapped up in all of this love that you have of the Lord and gratitude for what he's giving you. And notice, like for that, that's a dialogue. I'm praying that that doxology, it says in the Missal that the congregation responds amen. I'm not supposed to say anything. That's your response to the Father. That's your response to Christ. Let it be so.